Welcome to Blackballed. My name is James D. Fiore, and that was the voice of sitting member of provincial parliament, uh, the independent member of provincial parliament, Randy Hillier, who is now uh, out on bail, I believe it's a $10,000 bail, um, for uh, there are eight charges that he's uh, that Randy's been charged with. I know Randy Hillier. Um, I don't have a rabid dislike for Randy Hillier, like a lot of people that I know. Um, but I've met him several times and we've met, we've talked on the phone and um, I didn't agree with almost anything that he did during the convoy. And now that the dust has settled a little bit, uh, Randy's court date is uh, on Star Wars Day on May the 4th. And um, I am very interested in talking to our guest today. He is David Amber. He's the lawyer representing Randy Hillier. And he's going to talk to us today a little bit about Randy's case and what we can expect when the actual case reaches court. And Mr. Amber, how are you, buddy? Good, James, thanks for having me, how are you? No no problem, I'm doing well, thank you, sir. Um, listen, the convoy is one of those things that divided us again. Like every other issue, uh, it seems that we're, we're always sort of getting divided, we're all placed into our polarized boxes. And every time I kind of thought that I was agreeing with something that someone in the convoy would say, someone else would step up and say something that I just couldn't possibly agree with. Um, the clip that I just showed was, uh, was Randy Hillier saying, basically, we're going to die on this hill. And, you know, the, the echoes back to famous wars of the past. And we're, we're all trying now to sort of collect ourselves and to see if we can move on past this pandemic. Um, you represent Mr. Hillier. Can you just kind of go down um, the list of charges and, and the most serious ones uh, and, and, and what they mean as far as precedent setting for a sitting member of provincial parliament. Okay, well, I mean, it is somewhat unprecedented to, to see a politician uh, being charged for criminal activity. Uh, in this particular case, Mr. Hillier is obviously uh, asserting his innocence. And there are nine charges actually that he faces and it's sort of broken into, I guess, three categories of charges. The first is his participation or involvement in the convoy. So either attending the convoy, uh, encouraging people to attend the convoy, uh, not leaving when the Ottawa police determined that he had to leave the convoy. So there's a number of charges. I believe it's counts one, two, and, and, and nine that are associated with that, or not, one, two, three, and nine. Uh, then there's three counts that are related to him allegedly uh, suggesting to people to tie up the 911 lines. And of course, he never used the word 911 and never suggested to do that. Uh, although he did write a tweet saying that we are free to voice, uh, voice our opinion in a democratic society. So those are three counts that were associated with that, a mischief count, a counseling mischief count. Uh, an, inter, uh, an obstructing a person in aid of a police officer. And then the last category of charges are charges related to an alleged assault on uh, officers that were making security on Parliament Hill. You've seen that video where he reaches over and moves a barrier six inches. And 30 days later, we're now hearing allegations that he assaulted those officers, despite the fact that nothing of the sort is seen on video. Right. I mean, look, I like like I said when I opened, I am not someone who wants to see Randy Hillier in jail. Um, I don't know enough about the law to know um, whether or not he, you know, 
made serious breaches uh, and 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 uh, committed serious offenses in the law. What I do know is that um, you know when he was tweeting things like um, like the shells. Uh, I think it was they were Israeli war shells, and he contrasted that next to like these jerry cans and and people signing messages on them and stuff like that. I, I mean, I don't want you to speak for him because I know he can speak for himself. But do does the government and do authorities, by extension, sort of have a responsibility when sitting members of parliament sort of like tweet things that can be at least interpreted as being violent? I know interpretation is 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 subjective. But, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it felt like Randy was pushing the envelope and he knew what he was doing. And and a lot of us were just not surprised that he would end up being charged with these types of offenses based on what he's been doing for the last year. Um, does that make your job as a lawyer more difficult, less difficult, neither? Like, like, is there a behavioral element to Randy Hillier that sort of makes it, okay, well, you kind of, you know, you push them as far as you could push them and then they charged you? Or or is the whole thing just egregious, according to, to Randy? Well, there's a lot to unpack in that question in the preamble. I mean, the example you gave with the jerry cans, I'm not familiar with that particular tweet. Okay. And, I, and look, I, I don't agree necessarily with everything Randy Hillier has ever said. Um, and... Frankly, that tweet is not one of the tweets that are before the court uh, for the charges. So I don't need to get involved uh, in, in, in familiarizing myself with that or taking a position on that. I know that Randy is a polarizing guy. You know, there are, people, there are a lot of people that really love him, a lot of people that really dislike him. Uh, and, you know, politicians who, don't, who aren't afraid to speak their mind and engage in, in rhetoric to try and as forcefully as possible advance their point of view. Uh, will often rub people on the other side the wrong way. I mean, Justin Trudeau uh, made references to how the, the unvaccinated, they take up space. Do we really want to tolerate these individuals? He said other, other type of rhetoric where I get DMs almost every day where people are saying this is hate speech, you know, this is, you know, kind of over the top stuff. And to a certain degree, you know, this is political rhetoric. And, you know, the line that divides everything in the sand is whether or not a criminal act has been committed. If there's no criminal conduct that has been committed, uh, really free speech is free speech. And if you don't like it, the alternative to that is to criticize it or to alt offer an alternative. One of the, I'm sorry, what, you sent me the documents uh, earlier and, and I, I didn't really understand them because of the charges. They were all about the sections. They didn't actually list the names of the charges, but mm -hmm. um, is there an incitement charge there or something around that there, there's a counseling uh offenses that did not occur uh there's a counseling uh people to participate in the mischief as well participate in the freedom convoy so i mean like i said there's those three bodies of charges there's the actual freedom convoy charge there's the charges related to the uh, allegations to tie up the phone lines and then there's the alleged assault and so there are various iterations sort of in a week that the, the court of appeal of ontario released a decision last week saying that the crown uh, often engages in overcharging and needs to be a little bit more selective and a little more uh, circumscribed in the number of counts that it lists they've they've uh, accused him of of many of three different things in nine different ways so that's what we have um barring any continuances it's, it's gonna take place on may the 4th the, the beginning of the pre-trial is that right 
Well, I get asked this question, I think, from every single person who's ever hired me who has never been through this before. And I, the way I like to refer to it, I say, well, pick a sport, hockey, baseball, whatever you whatever you like. Um, that first appearance is essentially like the puck being dropped at the beginning of a hockey game. Now, okay. in the case where a person was detained in custody, there's a little bit of back history to it. There was the bail proceedings. But really, this is the first appearance since release for Randy Hillier. So that's really the kickoff, the puck drop, the opening pitch whatever you'd like. And then it's it's over the next few months that we will get disclosure and I expect it to be extensive. I've made, I've made numerous requests to the prosecutor for items of disclosure. There'll be discussions with the Crown. Um, again, uh, Randy disputes all of the charges and I plan on fighting for him vigorously on all of them. But some of them I think are a little bit more tenuous than others. And the Crown may wish to uh, consider whether or not it, whether or not it wishes to proceed on all of those charges, or if we can narrow it to the ones that are really seriously in debate and and and, and bring the proceedings around those. I'm I'm probably going to ask a few questions that um, may might not make too much sense to you as far as a legal standpoint is concerned. But ask whatever you me. like. Just bear with me here, because um, I feel like Randy Hillier is not going to plead. I feel like Randy Hillier wants the trial. And I feel like Randy Hillier wants the, not the publicity, well, maybe the publicity, but like he wants sort of the um, the spectacle of it. Because as we've seen, um, himself, Maxime Bernier, they gravitated towards the convoy and they the convoy were basically their people. There's not much of a chance that he's just going to sort of plead guilty to these charges, is there? Well, I've never pleaded a, a client guilty and assisted in pleading a client guilty where the client believed he was innocent so i mean that that's a starting point i can i can begin at when addressing that question but like i said the, the first category of charges randy hillier faces is uh related to the allegation that the freedom convoy writ large was illegal not not that there were individual examples of illegality taking place but that the whole freedom convoy uh became illegal and that Randy Hillier was part of that. So he's certainly not going to admit that. He's not going to admit having formed an intention to encourage people to tie up 911 lines. And he's certainly not going to admit committing an assault, which uh, by all evidence I've seen, uh, there's not a shred of evidence suggesting it actually happened. So, I mean, these are situations where there will likely be a trial uh, on which counts uh, it will depend, which mode of trial is going to, is going to be uh, up for debate. Uh, the crown is proceeded it's federal court right it's it's federal well, court. Well, no, it, 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 the criminal code is federal law but it's prosecuted by provincial prosecutors i mean certain certain federal crimes are prosecuted by a federal okay. prosecutor drugs terrorism offenses offenses but what i'm getting at is there, yeah. there, there there's no cameras in canadian courtrooms right it's all illustrations uh yeah i mean where a case is high profile enough you'll often get someone there to sketch uh, what's going on um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, whether or not it takes place in the Ontario Court of Justice or whether or not he has a trial in the Superior Court with a judge and jury, it will depend on which counts remain. I mean, the Crown has already elected to proceed by indictment. So uh, for now, at least that opens up the door to an election uh, by Randy Hillier for his mode of trial. Okay. Um, so I just have the list of people here that he's not allowed to see. And, and it's the cast of characters that we've uh, that we've all kind of got to know over the last year and a half ben dichter james bowder daniel bufford tyson billings tamara lick uh chris barber pat king owen swindersky i haven't heard of a couple of these byron carr kenny mm -hmm. comics 
uh, and there's a few other names in there. Um, none of them really seem all that uh, familiar to me. Um, did he have contact with any of those people before the charges were laid? And if so, in what capacity? Um, I, I don't necessarily have the information to answer that question. Even if I did, I'm not sure I could. But I will say this. Uh, let's assume for a moment he had no contact with those individuals. Um, it's not unusual for there to be conditions exactly like this, that where multiple people are alleged to have engaged in the same criminal activity. Again, I'm not in any way uh, admitting that it was criminal activity, but that's the Crown's mm -hmm. theory. And where multiple people are, are alleged to have engaged in it, it's, it's perfectly common for them to be all placed on conditions not to communicate with each other. And there's two reasons. One, to prevent them from getting back together to do any more of what what the uh, what, what the nuisance conduct was, or what the criminal alleged criminal conduct was, and two to prevent them from speaking to each other, potentially, you know, getting their stories straight uh, in advance of, of of proceedings that they're all facing. So, um, look looking at it just uh, as 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 a condition, it's a perfectly standard condition. Okay, um, one name that's not on that list. Now, actually, let me let me rephrase that. Let me circle back for a second. Are those people considered the convoy organizers? Like everyone on that list? Is that what they're considered by the courts? I'm not entirely sure. I recognize many of the names. I don't recognize all of the names. I, what I imagine is that these are people who are either alleged to be organizers, uh, alleged to have been, who have been charged with some maybe greater involvement than the average, uh, average Joe who got charged. And maybe there might be some people who have not yet been charged, but where the police are considering laying charges that are sort of cut from the same cloth as everybody else. Uh, so the, again, re I, the reason I why I ask is because I'm wondering why Max Bernier is not on the list. Well, because he's also been charged, right? He pled not guilty as well, didn't he? In February. Max Bernier. Yeah, I'm not I believe aware. Max, Max Bernier to plead not guilty. Oh, so, so he was arrested last June. And he was arrested in Manitoba, in uh, in rural communities in Manitoba, and he's pled not guilty. Um, it doesn't say here the thing that I'm yeah, reading no. when they're going to actually go to. But but point is, though, he's not on that what, list. What right? you're thinking of, uh, James, is is uh, Max was arrested last year on some provincial law uh, in Manitoba related to, um, I think, either a lockdown or or a you know a, a gathering limit that he was in right. breach of by, by protesting that. And I think you've seen the video that circulated around where the police come up to him and ask if he has any weapons. And he says, nothing, nothing but my words. And he was taken into custody and given a ticket essentially and charged under the, the provincial offenses regime. As okay. it exists in the only reason I'm asking that is, is just because, um, well, actually let, let me just shake the etch a sketch here for a second. Do you, does your because Randy's um, motivation, stated motivation during this convoy and 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 just over the past two years, is that the pandemic is fake, and the vaccines are um, not effective, and even he said they were dangerous once in a while. You don't so you don't actually have to prove that in order to prove your case. I'm guessing, but I mean, I'm trying to. I'm, Look, this is so new for everybody that it's even hard for me to formulate the kind, the correct kind of questions to ask you because, you know, we we had a an entire swath of people um, in this country, millions of people, really. At the end of the day, if you're going to count ten percent of them or 
you know, a good chunk of that 10% who didn't get vaccinated and even some that did, who were convinced that the pandemic wasn't real. Randy Hillier has said that many times. And and it's funny because I know a lot of people want me to be really hard on you and be really hard on Randy Hillier. I'm not really interested in that. What I'm interested in is is the mountain of precedence that I seem to see in front of me when it comes to cases like Randy's and when it comes to what's happened over the past two years, how it was uncharted territory for all of us. And I still don't know if people are convinced that they have the evidence of what the answer is. And so I, I guess I'm just kind of wondering if I don't think Randy's going to get um, convicted because of all of that stuff. Like this is so new. I don't even know how to understand how to read his conditions properly. I don't know how to, how to read his charges properly. If I were to charge as a layman, as an unlettered man, I, if I were to charge Randy Hillier with a crime, it might be incitement. Um, or if there is some really obscure charge where a sitting member of parliament um, can't spread disinformation that jeopardizes the safety of the public. Mm-hmm. But then the court would have to prove that the opposite saved the public. And they can't do that. It feels like they can't do that. Does any of that make sense to you? I, I, are you do you hear what I'm trying to say? Like, I, I well, I mean, he's I not like charged with any such offense. I'm not even sure that such an offense exists. Where, quote unquote, well, we just saw a police officer be charged with uh, that woman. A police officer was charged. I, I don't remember the charges. I'm sorry, but like basically, she was saying, you know, I just want to let you know that many police have your back. You know that we believe in the convoy. Da 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 da. And then she got well, charged certain, for that statement, certain, right? Certain professions, lawyers, doctors, police officers, massage therapists, nurses, they all have a governing body. And, and those governing bodies may have certain rules of conduct that are stricter than the rules of conduct that apply to everybody, uh, that being the criminal okay. code or other provincial legislation. So, I mean, Randy Hillier's charged under the criminal law for having committed criminal offenses. So, I mean, I don't... I'm not sure where where you're coming from with that. I don't question. even know where I'm coming from. That's the point. <laughs> you you began the premise of your question though is that there are some people that believe the pandemic is fake. They call it the plandemic or the scam demic. But and I gotta tell you, I, your client is one of them. Your client is um, one of them. He again, told that to I, me I'm on not an interview on our everything own Randy said. I don't necessarily okay. agree with everything Randy said. There are a lot of supporters of Randy Hillier who who do not believe those things. In fact, you know I've. I've been um, I've been out meeting people of all stripes. I ran for the People's Party last year, and so I met lots of people who are who, who share views that are very much against the pandemic response, and people who believe that this is a fake thing. Very small minority of the population. There are lots of other people, however, who believe that at every stage of the pandemic, the response was more over heavy-handed than it ought to have been at every stage. I'm, I'm one of those people who believe that we needed to make a response to the pandemic, but at every stage we we uh, took off a lot more than we should have done and we are going to be suffering the consequences since. And I mean, Randy has said a lot of things which appeal to people who believe that. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. 4Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. 
we'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. How do you know that? That's a, that's a really good question. I mean, I have listened to experts. I read what people have said. I've I've followed the debate and and listened to the some of the logical fallacies on both sides of a question. I've considered some of the risk management strategies that we all engage in as as human beings. Uh, infectious diseases are not new. Um, pandemics are not new. Uh, responses to pandemics are things that governments should know how to do. There are certain elements of common sense that come into what we would expect, for example, masking, you know, five-year-olds for, for two years straight and then wondering why there are developmental, educational, social uh, elements that have fallen behind. I mean, there's elements of common sense. I, I weighed as much information as I could from as many sources as I could, and I came to my own personal conclusions. And I think that that's what people should generally do in a, in a free society. I, I had Max Bernie on and, and I was trying to sort of cut to the chase about, you know, when a, when a government isn't acting tyrannical. And mm -hmm. I used the example of, I, I asked him, and I'm paraphrasing, if the pandemic was leprosy, would the government be out of line telling people to stay home and to like wear masks and things like that? And he said, yes. And I was just like, and, and I was like, I was really frustrated because I couldn't figure out what, what disease would it have to be in order for people to go, the government's not acting tyrannical. Or is it just as soon as the government says you have to stay at home, it doesn't matter if it's a nuclear holocaust outside, you should be able to go outside. Is that? Well, that, that's a good question. I've, I've been asked that question a lot of times as well by, by other people. And I think... The, the expression, if things were different, they wouldn't be the same. Or if, if I had a space station, I'd live in space. Uh, I think that if we were dealing with a disease that did not have such a small rate of fatality, if we were dealing with a different set of parameters from the outset, you know, maybe instead of 10 or 15% of the population that didn't want to get vaccinated, we'd have maybe one to one and a half percent. And it, it wouldn't necessarily be as much of an issue. People would be engaging in voluntary behavior. Uh, in a different way. I think if, if we had a different set of facts, uh, things would likely have been different. I might have come to a different personal conclusion myself in how I viewed the risks to myself, to my family, to my kids, to my elderly parents, etc. So I think, you know, it, based on the best information available to me, I was not uh, as concerned. I was concerned. I, I believe the pandemic was something to be concerned about and I changed my behavior in some ways. 
But to a certain extent, I believe that we did not need to do as much as we did. And, and we're going to be suffering the consequences because we we got kind of lost our heads at times. Yeah, I see. It's difficult because this is the first pandemic that we've had. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. Um, when social media existed and the social media addition to the whole pandemic ecosystem is that facts all of a sudden, all of them become subjective. And meanwhile, the the government, uh, who's who I believe is operating, if we give the government, even if it, whether it was a conservative government or a Trudeau government or whoever, we give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they were operating under the auspices of trying to protect the public, then mm -hmm. they're operating from a position of objectivity. And so I don't know how those, well, they believe they are, right? They, they're listening to health experts who are telling them, this is what you need to do. This is how you keep people safe. It's a very objective arena. It's not that subjective, right? And then you're dealing with the public who all is sharing their opinions on social media. A lot of these opinions are erroneous. A lot of them are incorrect. Some of them are correct. I don't know how we navigate these waters and 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 try to say, you know, I, I've done my, like, like you've just said, and I'm not saying like I'm using the royal you. I'll, I'll do that instead, because a lot of people say, well, I've done my research and uh, I've come come to the conclusion that this is the best way forward through a medical emergency that I have no way of understanding myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like, well, I mean, again, a lot to unpack in the question that you asked. And I'm going to try and in a you're going to get way. you're going to get that a lot from me. But go ahead. I'm going to yeah. try and get back in a roundabout way. But first of all, I mean, you speak of objectivity. Um, you know, you look at someone like Dr. Fauci in the United States or Teresa Tam here early in the pandemic, we're saying what everyone had agreed objectively. The consensus was that if you feel well, do not wear a mask. You don't need to wear a mask. The effectiveness uh, is not there. Um, you know, there are other things that you can do. Um, but that was the consensus from from top experts like Dr. Fauci and Teresa Tam. Yeah, it was July 2020 and when the mask mandate came. Right. And then all of a sudden, because I think of the pressure of politics, we saw that that changed. Uh, you know, we saw also experts saying that, you know, the, the vaccine is going to prevent you from, from getting it. It's going to stop right there. You take the vaccine, you're not going to get it. And now we know that the vaccine's primary use has been in, in, in mitigating and minimizing the symptoms, not in pre prevent. So, I mean, starting from the idea that there's this objectivity, I think it's really important to have dissenting views and opposing views specifically because if you hitch your wagon only to one perspective, you end up following a perspective which might be right some of the time and might be wrong some of the time and it's kind of monocular and focused. In a fluid situation, the, aren't we right sometimes and wrong sometimes anyways? Isn't that how it goes? We are, but I think that when governments sort of say that there's one way of doing it and kind of harness the fear, and I think this is where I wanna bring it back to sort of the, the main reason I'm here. You said it earlier uh, about the convoy but lots of things in life right now you have these two alternate realities of what's going on you know the in the convoy for example you have the people who say you know this was a peaceful protest you know for the most part there was uh, you know laws were being followed uh when when the injunction came down for the most part people weren't honking there were some ex exceptions it was a happy atmosphere a playful atmosphere an optimistic atmosphere and then there are people who saying it was a a, a shutdown a siege of the city, that there was harassment going on, racist flags. And there are these two competing realities. And we saw this with the pandemic. You know, I think, you know, I won't take credit for this point. I saw Bill Maher 
treat this point excellently, and it comes to your point here. Bill Maher spoke several months ago on this idea that in the United States, and the same thing goes on here, uh, when asked the critical question of what are your chances of getting hospitalized if you get COVID-19, the data supported then as it does now, it was somewhere between 1% and 5%. That survey question was asked to Americans of all stripes, and people who were left-leaning, Democratic people who voted Democrat, a significant majority of them thought it was something like 20 to 50% or even 50% or more. So when you have a certain portion of the population that is getting their news in a certain way from a certain set of sources, uh, and the information they're getting is skewed in one way, it contributes to this idea of these alternate realities. If I truly believed, and the data truly supported, that your chances of being hospitalized was 20% or 50%, my opinions on the response to the pandemic may very well have and would have likely have been different. So right. I think that's coming back. Yeah, to your, I mean, I, that that's a good point. I mean, I'm not I'm not an ideologue. Uh, I'm not I'm not I don't consider myself left or right. I consider myself thoughtful. And um, you know that the one side of the spectrum that has the twenty that that believe that it was twenty to forty percent or whatever you just said hospitalized. On the other side of that spectrum is your client Randy Hillier mm-hmm. saying that this is a fake pandemic. Like the the both sides have this uh, ability to reach well farther than their pay grade allows uh, should allow, mm-hmm. and then you know we get we everything becomes muddy. The whole the, everything all the the waters just become muddy. I'm still just trying to figure out though what would the government have done differently. I mean, it felt like, and I I didn't vote for Trudeau. I don't like him as a leader. It's kind of a cupcake. I don't really respect him. So it's not like that. But I mean, I, I'm trying to figure out if who who would be prime minister, who would make different choices, you know? Well, part of, it, part of the part of the problem was that all five leaders or all all all, all leaders of of the main political parties, um, all of them, with the exception of Max Bernie and the PPC, uh, joined forces in supporting things like mandating vaccines, if not directly, indirectly, at the very least. Uh, mandating masks. There was no pushback from any kind of opposition. So it's it's hard to know how things would have been done differently. I certainly... You mean, part, you mean bipartisanship? Bipartisanship like, like, is, I guess, one way of putting it. But if, if, the, if, if it's done under the guise of pretending to be in opposition, but really just framing the same things in different ways, and if it's done for the motivation of essentially fear fear not just of the pandemic, but fear of how the voters will treat you if you if you don't uh, capitulate to their fear of the pandemic. You know, doing what's right and doing what's easy is often two different things. And, you know, yeah. Aaron O'Toole did a terrible job at offering uh, alternative views of the, on the federal level. Uh, well, Doug maybe Ford, he didn't believe in them. Pardon me? So... Uh, I'm not trying to be argumentative, but maybe he didn't believe in... It. You don't just take the opposite view just for the sake of being... And just because you're opposition leader, you can agree with the prime minister. Maybe he right. just agreed with him. So basically the point I'm making is that, do you remember, like, I'm not a historian, but I remember hearing stories about World War II, and this is sort of to your point, where there were pacifists inside the U.S. Senate that were questioning why we would be going to war after Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of opposition I can sort of understand. Like that's the, like uh, you know, so that that the government doesn't become too comfortable in making any decision and, and and utilizing a blank check. But I think we all kind of like figured through the lens of history that 
while it had a role to play, it's it's well, a good. Let, let, let's let's be let's be clear here, though. Okay? Let me just finish my point, if that's okay. It it, it, it would sure. probably it's probably a good thing that the Democrats and the Republicans were on the same page after Pearl Harbor. Is really what yeah, my point. I, I agree with that, but let, let, let let's be clear about the pandemic here, okay? Um, we now have the benefit of looking at data, and again, it, different people have different risk levels. Even at, at at different ages, there are people who are higher risk, low risk. But for someone my age, for example. How old are you? The data, the, the data support, and we're talking anyone maybe under the age of 60. The data support that- You don't want to tell me how old you are? The, <laughs> I'm 45, just so you know. I just okay. wanted to know how old you were. That's all. I, I, I'm 41. Okay. okay? The, yeah. the act As the elder get, statesman in this interview, right. I just want to let you know that you're doing a great job, David, but go but, ahead. Thank you. The, the, yeah, the act of getting in a car every day and driving to work on the highway every day poses a certain risk to me of hospitalization or death. I don't think twice about that number because it is so infinitesimally small. The risk of, of being hospitalized or killed by COVID-19 is in the ballpark. Again, I'm, 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 I don't have the numbers down to an exactitude, but it's in the same ballpark of such an infinitesimally small number as to be a risk that I'm willing to take with, with some degree of, of mitigation. I That's think the that libertarian in you. There should have been right? a debate being had at all levels of government if we were going too far. And I think that the fact that we didn't have politicians arguing that we were going too far or certain politicians weren't arguing. You know, I asked this question uh, almost a year ago. I said, when will somebody in the opposition come out and say, on what metric will you determine that it is no longer necessary for government to be involved? I mean, you can be bipartisan and, and take a position that the government's not willing to take and say, on this metric, this metric, and this metric, uh, the pandemic may not be over, but it will no longer require the heavy-handed involvement of government. No politician was doing that from the government, let alone the opposition. Okay, but even in hindsight, we we know now that let's say I accept the stats, and I think those are correct stats about the fatality rates or the hospitalization rates being less than five percent. I think it's like three percent or something. Um, but the government knew because the World Health Organization, and I think we got a lot of our data from the CDC because they were more robust more quickly and they had a larger data set than we did, that it's not just the people that were elderly and people with pre-existing conditions that we had to worry about. It was the healthy people that were spreading the disease to the people who were elderly and with pre-existing conditions. So it's a staunch libertarian idea to be like, I ain't sick, therefore I'm good, I can go out I might be, might not be symptomatic. I'll spread it to whoever I want because I'm free. That 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 sort of freedom and liberty and libertarianism that trumped the idea of you don't want to kill your relatives if you spread the disease to them, even if it doesn't impact you. I mean, I guess I, I guess legally you don't you don't have to be a good person. You can just go around being a dick, but like you probably shouldn't because then your grandma might die. I know, I'm being I think, deliberately I think, I think hyperbolic, between, right? Like, James, between doing nothing and doing what we did, there was a lot of middle ground that I think we could have looked at. I can tell you, my father is 73 years old. Um, he had absolutely no issue, in fact, shared in my in many of the views that I have. You know, he saw his grandchildren every single weekend that he was that that, that I had my my kids with me. You know, both he and I think it's it's bonkers that there are people who. Who, who went like a year or a year and a half without seeing their grandchildren. I mean, I think there's a lot of room between doing absolutely nothing 
and between being absolutely hysterical and terrified of a disease that is not some kind of airborne leprosy. We, as, we always as, do that in this country, eh? We always do that in this country. We always do that in this country. We we do one box or the other box. And I think we got to stop thinking like that because there's a whole bunch of people in the middle and it's not anecdotal once you get to the middle. And I think most people were like, look, I just don't want to get other people sick. But be, beyond that, um, someone said in the comments something interesting, but it, I mean, I, I, I like having conversations about, um, about the pandemic and the convoy. I'm not a medical expert, neither are you. It would be interesting well, I'll, I'll, to see. I just want to say one thing, James, about that comment. Someone said, well, well you know, made, made the joke about why, why is criminal order commenting on epidemiology? To a certain degree, this wasn't That's about, Ryan Lindley, ladies and gentlemen. Go ahead. Th this yeah. wasn't, to a certain degree, it wasn't about science, okay? The science on the way masks work didn't change in 2020. The science on, on, on how lockdowns uh, operate or other forms of mitigation, they didn't change. What the policymaking was really an exercise in was in priority setting. There was right. certain trade-offs that you would get by engaging in these heavy handed measures and certain downsides. And I think the politicians, because of their fear of, of looking bad to the electorate were made the political decision that it will cost me less to engage in these long-term or less, less important to the, to the voting public right now problems financially, in terms of the mental health of people, in terms of people's uh, own personal microeconomic finances. So there's lots of, of, of prioritizations that were done in a way that didn't make sense. And so I think that politicians bore the responsibility to listen to the experts on the science, but also listen to the experts on the economy, listen to the experts on, on mental health, listen to the experts on the, the legal rights and to weigh all of these priorities together to make the decisions and not simply just abdicate the responsibility and says, Dr. So-and-so says we should do this policy and we're doing this policy. I think that's yeah. why. I mean, you're not going to get me to, you're not going to get me to defend politicians. <laughs> that's not going right. to happen on the show. But, but the idea though, that, I mean, there, there's a good argument uh, to be made that um, this sort of half assness of our, government policies is one of the reasons why it just kept on lingering and lingering like i, I get what you're saying about the mat listen i was one of those guys that was like they're clearly lying about masks everybody um i i, I didn't mean by that that it was like 100 ineffective but i did see the fauci emails and he did say to his sister that a cloth mask is i think he said basically useless you know and so i think there was a lot of social engineering happening from our our health uh, officials and from our government so and, i'm and, not and even disputing bring that. it back to this james why Hold why on, am i here one second, one second. I'm, I'm, I'm representing randy hillier and yeah. if we didn't have people like randy hillier who were objecting to the way things were done uh, we would have probably accelerated further down the path of of sheltering in place and and living and being governed by fear and so I think Are the you voice sure about that? Do you want, us, you want a moment to maybe rethink? Do you want a moment maybe to rethink that statement? No, <laughs> if it wasn't for Randy Hillier, there'd be more dead people. Is that kind of what you said? There were voices of many different perspectives, and Randy Hillier was one of the few politicians that was objecting to the direction. He in said which it was fake. Going. Pardon me. He I, said I, the I, pandemic I, was fake. I, 
the reason I'm not familiar with the tweets that you're talking about is because I'm just not said that if Randy Hillier was like if, if if there was you just said if people listened to Randy Hillier there'd be less dead people or if, sorry you said it that yeah. if there was no what Randy Hillier was, there'd be more dead I, people I, I if you can you make a claim like that that you can speak it hold on if you can make a claim like that you can at least speak to the idea that Randy Hillier said it was a fake pandemic, which may have actually caused more deaths. I think that's probably uh, look, I'm, more I'm not here to sit in moral judgment or to defend the accuracy of what Randy Hillier said on the pandemic. But what, he I, just what said I am he saved saying, lives. I don't think those were my exact words. I think you kind of put words in my mouth. Here, here's okay. what I, I said. I said that it was important to have voices, including those of Randy Hillier. Fair enough. If, if somebody says something that's way out there and it's it's not supported by the evidence, it's easy to defeat that. But we still need different voices contributing to the discussion of public policy in this province. And, I, and what I said earlier was that part of the problem was that many of the opposition parties, the provincial level, at the federal level, weren't offering any pushback. I think that there's a certain value to voices like Randy Hilliers to have objected and to have represented those that would be saying, hey, hold on a second, we might be, we might be going a little too far on this. I think that's the point that I, I said. And that's the point that I intended to make. Okay, well, that's kind of a clarification because it, it did sound a lot like you said, if you know, that if um, if Randy Hillier didn't speak up, there would be more dead people. But uh, but let's move on right. from that. I, I mean, you, you have to go. To the tape. I don't uh, think that's what I said. I'll look back. I, I think the implication was pretty clear. But, the, you know, either way, um, we'll wrap this up in the next five minutes or so. I just wanted to uh, – let's, let's dial it down just a little bit. Um, if Randy Hillier goes to jail, he becomes a martyr. You lose mm -hmm. the case. Um, but as an individual, what, what do you see this case as being? Is it a touchstone case for this kind of like new era that we're in in, in society where social media meets uh, national crises and then, uh, you know, a hero <laughs> walks away into the sunset after doing a great job, becomes a martyr, whatever. Are, are you a little bit concerned that all of this is is kind of uh, is not f we're still not going to have the facts that we need about this pandemic at the end of this case there's still no one that can triumphantly claim that they were correct well, i think the answer to that question is that it's it, it does offer a bit of a chilling effect on people wanting to participate in the public discourse if they're concerned that if they you know, make their point a little too forcefully that they may be the subject of criminal charges. I think, again, the, the, the best antidote to information that, that, that you find to be out there, incorrect, inflammatory, is to criticize that information, not to encourage the silencing of that information through criminal charges. I think that, that would be a bad thing, and hopefully this is uh, an outlier. Hopefully this is... Uh, an era of our politics that we will get past without it repeating itself. But we certainly have to be concerned about the fact that politicians are being uh, arrested and charged for uh, things related to the opinions that they are holding and promoting. Okay. Um, before I let you go, I have to ask you this. Yes. And it's only because I'm, I'm a little bit of an asshole. <laughs> Just a little bit. Um, are you going to have a no drinking rule with Randy in court? I... I don't know. I'm not aware of, of alcohol being at all involved in this case. So, uh, I mean, really, I, I think I, you I, might, yeah. you might have a good shot of beating the case. If you just say, you listen, it's kind of a drunk <laughs> drinks a lot. I think that's maybe... not exactly, uh, I wouldn't consider that to be a great defense there, James. Okay. Well, I'm not a lawyer, dude. <laughs> <laughs>
I would never think of talking about law if I'm not a lawyer. But listen, um, David Amber, I really appreciate you coming out. Um, this could have gone on for three hours because I don't know if there's an actual end to a conversation based on the pandemic and the convoy and everything. Um, but I wish you well, and I thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. No problem. You have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. That was interesting. Um, I, I see all the comments and, and people wanting me to to say certain things and to and to sort of be a little bit harder on Randy. Um, I, I just find it really uh, amazing. Actually, you know what, Ryan, if you're still listening, do you want to come in, brother? Because uh, I, I, I need to just do a little bit of a, uh, a postmortem. You don't have to. You can just let me know if you want to and I'll send it over. Um, the idea that we are sitting at a, almost a post-pandemic and we still haven't really agreed on any of the facts um, that deal with the effectiveness of masks and the effectiveness of vaccines and the idea that we are, uh, you know, unable to like ascertain what is the fact-based world that we live in. Um, we, we have, uh, I, I thought David Amber was well-spoken. I had no idea that he ran for the People's Party of Canada. Um, you know, and, and as a lot of the people that have watched this show and, and the Dean Bondell show know, I don't really even have a personal issue with Randy Hillier. I mean, I don't, I don't like, it's hard for me to get to a place of hatred when someone isn't truly violent. And so, but the, but, but the notion that we have a, um, that we have a sitting politician who, who is such an outlier that he called the pandemic fake, that speaks volumes to where we're at as a society now, I think. Um, I don't know if we have the 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 gas in the tank to to make it through another pandemic, you know. What's that going to look like? You know, we're we're gonna wake up one day and find out the Ebola virus has suddenly spread across Canada, and we're gonna have people going, "So what? I want to go out for a jog," <laughs> and we're gonna just, be, dude, it's Ebola, you know. And we have to rely on people in professional in, in, in occupations like medical professionals. And we have to trust them because if we don't trust them, you know, it, it could mean our lives. I, I don't know how to go about not trusting health officials uh, who aren't politicized. I, I, even when I say that sentence, I can see a lot of people rolling their eyes because there is a there is a part of me that thinks that every single thing is now up for debate um there were the, and and it, and it's everything it, it's social issues as well what was that other one the, the mathematician um no sorry the uh the the group in the united states that said that um one plus one isn't necessarily two because it's a white supremacist structure like they'll people will argue about anything nowadays and uh and there's no there's no way that we can um just have a set of facts that we all agree on but in any case uh randy hillier's court date is uh his first court date uh as david amber said when the puck drops in the randy hillier case is may the 4th so we'll we'll try to keep you updated with this story and uh until then uh, I will not be on air tomorrow, but I'll be on Thursday and I'll let you know tomorrow who my guest is. I'd like to thank David Amber and, uh, yeah, we'll see you next time on Black Bolt. Thanks everybody.
Kits. I'm your eager beaver. And I'm Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have we, we the perfect, perfect podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous or sexy catch us on, on the dean blundell network or on our youtube channel or wherever you get your podcasts because democracy, democracy is, is something, something you do. do it is your favorite girl that's right it's the ali mars the one and the only everyone else just ain't me i am the host of welcome to mars a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table i have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate.